Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. Hello and welcome to a momentous occasion. This is a first, the very first live edition of The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. It is good to have you here. I started the show right away because I got tired of the same like two seconds of that show music just looping over and over again. And I figure if I am the guy that chose the song and I can't withstand it for more than 30 seconds, surely you all uh, can't do it either. So uh, great to have you tuned in to the program here. We're doing things a a little bit differently. Uh, there are two reasons for this. Number one, my background is in talk radio. So I, I love the idea of live. I love the idea of live content, of engaging with the audience. And I, I've kind of missed it doing the podcast form of the show on True North. The other reason I'm doing it live is that the last two shows have just been so painfully annoying. I will record, I'll prep, I'll, I'll pour my heart and soul into the show. We've got a great team that edits it. I, you can see the way I look live. I need a lot of editing and airbrushing to get to the point where I look like someone people want to watch for an hour. And then we're just getting ready to hit publish. We're just getting ready to go. And some breaking news story will come that completely changes everything I was talking about. This happened a couple of times in a row. And finally, I said, you know what? I'm going to do the, the old Bill O'Reilly thing. If you ever saw that great moment, uh, the candid moment on Inside Edition back in the day when Bill O'Reilly just, you know, screams and drops an F-bomb and says, we'll do it live. So uh, that was me with our, our production team here at True North. I said, F this, we're doing it live. And here we are on, what day is it? Uh, Wednesday, February 9th, 2022. Thank you to all of you who are tuning in on Facebook, on YouTube. Uh, we had uh, Candace working up a fire to do a smoke signal edition. I don't know. If you look over uh, the Ottawa skyline, you just might see it there. That'll be a, a great one here. But ultimately, we're going to be doing a lot of things differently here. I'm going to be talking about the convoy. I'm going to be talking a little bit about the conservative leadership race. And because it's live, I want to take your questions. I, if you see my eyes darting around, here. It's because I want to see the questions that you are sharing with me in the Facebook comments and the YouTube comments. And uh, but Carrier Pigeon, I don't know if we can, uh, I don't know if we're set up for that. I think that's in uh, next week's show. But let me know because I want to hear from you and we'll try to address some of these things. I did last night, I think it was, a great chat with Aaron Gunn. He is the former BC Liberal leadership candidate who has summarily defenestrated by the BC Liberals because he he said that Canada wasn't a racist country, so apparently he was a racist or something like that. I don't make the rules. And he had, had invited me to come and, and chat with some of his supporters. And we had a great time. And a lot of people there were asking about the convoy. So that's exactly what I think we're going to keep talking about here. But I want to talk about some of the greatest hits because I, I mentioned on the show last week and two weeks ago that the convoy, when it was en route to Ottawa, made me feel more encouraged and more optimistic than I had felt in quite some time and, and still than I felt in nearly two years in Canada. As I've been talking about all of the dwindling freedoms, the government's encroachment on civil liberties and an increasing reluctance among Canadians to do anything about it. Canadians were, in a lot of cases, just going along with it. So I was getting very annoyed by this and, and feeling very pessimistic, feeling very cynical. It was certainly seeping into my show. And then the convoy came. 
Then the truckers came, and then hundreds of them hit the road, thousands of them. Now we, we have hundreds of thousands, millions of people around the world that have been talking about freedom just because of the convoy. And if you look at some of the footage, it's tremendous. Convoys in places like Canberra, Australia, in Wellington, New Zealand, in London, England, places that have been hit by the lockdown police in, in many ways worse than in Canada. Worse than in Canada, and these people are finally saying they've had enough. And who is it that they can thank but Canadian truckers who got together, they got in their cabs, they hit the road to Ottawa, and they never looked back. And for a lot of them, still have not looked back. So we're going to talk about a lot of this, and, and specifically, though, the convoy effect. Because in the time that the convoy has been to Ottawa, the Conservatives have gotten rid of their leader... Quebec has abandoned its tax on the unvaccinated and has said that it's going to be rolling back its restrictions. Saskatchewan has said it's going to be rolling back all of its restrictions. Alberta just last night got rid of the vaccine passport. And this is all while you can hear the faint honks of liberty, depending on where you are in the country. You listen really closely, you can hear the honk honk in the background. If you spend too much time in Ottawa, you might not be able to hear anything at all. But that's all part of the fun of this protest movement. But the reason I bring all of this up is to say that all of these politicians that are rolling back these measures, they're saying the convoy had nothing to do with it. That's their position, that the convoy had nothing to do with it. The convoy, what convoy? Alberta Premier Jason Kenney last night w w meant, was asked this question, and he said something about, oh, you know, just a few trucks at the Coots border crossing. Well, it's not a few trucks, and it's not just the Coots border crossing. It is quite significant, and it is very much there that the public appetite for lockdown, which was pretty strong, admittedly, for quite a while, has now eroded. And the public has had enough. And one of the reasons the public has had enough is because the trucker convoy mainstreamed opposition to lockdowns. So when Trudeau got up there a couple of weeks ago and said this is the fringe minority with unacceptable values or unacceptable views, what he was doing is wedging himself in a way. Because up until that point, he was kind of in the majority there. A lot of Canadians believed that. Remember, it was Doug Ford back earlier on in the pandemic who said anyone criticizing lockdowns fits into this category of being just a bunch of yahoos. So that was, I think, the prevailing sentiment, certainly if you read the mainstream media discourse, the mainstream political discourse. So that's an important point here. But what the truckers did is they mainstreamed it. As I talked about when I was in Ottawa, you had just profoundly normal people profoundly normal people that were going to support the truckers that were standing on the overpasses that were doing a lot of very significant things a lot of very significant things and in doing so proving that they were prepared to take a stand when they hadn't ever previously so that's something that I think we need to very much keep an eye out for, how the truckers has, have mainstreamed a position that was previously held up as fringe and that Justin Trudeau certainly still thinks is fringe, and in doing so, uh, proved that he just is not on side with Canadians, lest anyone had needed proof of that. Now, I'm getting a lot of comments here from people saying, well, my vaccine passports aren't being lifted, this mandate's not being lifted. I'm not saying it's all gone. I'm not saying the fight is over. I'm just talking about the significant changes we have seen 
the significant changes we have seen in the last little while. And I, I want to read a couple of your comments and I will get to them, I promise. But I, I want to play some clips here first, because when we talk about some of the changes, I want you to understand exactly what I'm talking about here. This is a clip from Joel Lightbound, who's a Liberal Member of Parliament, not a cabinet minister by any stretch, but he's a Liberal MP that has a fair bit of clout and I think was up until yesterday the chair of the Quebec Liberal Caucus. Now, of course, he, he stepped down from that. But as you may have seen by now, Monsieur Lightbound took a stand and not only said that vaccine mandates and coercive measures that are put, being put forward under the guise of public health are wrong, but he specifically took aim at Trudeau's vilification of the unvaccinated and his vilification of people protesting vaccine mandates. Take a look at this clip. At last, I think it's time to stop dividing Canadians, to stop pitting one part of the population against another. I can't help but notice with regret that both the tone and the policies of my government changed drastically on the eve and during the last election campaign. From a positive and unifying approach, a decision was made to wedge, to divide, and to stigmatize. I fear that this politicization of the pandemic risks undermining the public's trust in our public health institutions. This is not a risk we ought to be taking lightly. And this last year, Canada has reached one of the highest levels of vaccination in the world. It is something we should be proud of. It is something we should be celebrating. Yet here we are, more divided than ever. It's time to stop with the division and the distractions. It's time to choose positive, not coercive methods. It's time to unite. And finally, though I am alone voicing these concerns publicly today, I can tell you that I'm not the only one who feels to varying degrees, as I do within our ranks. I remain hopeful that this call for more humanism, for more reason, and for more hope will be heard. I want to thank you all for your attention. That was Joel Lightbound, Liberal MP from Quebec. And I want to mention something here about members of parliament, because a lot of people I don't think have realized this or, or think about it consciously. They have three constituencies. They have three constituencies, three things, three entities they must make happy. One is their party and leader. One is their personal moral compass and their personal principles. The other is the people that voted them in, their actual constituents. And, and you can't be a servant to two masters. You certainly can't be a servant to three masters. Every now and then you have to hope that all three are in alignment, that you believe in what your party's doing, that your constituents believe in that. But when one of those three starts to deviate... And Mr. Lightbound is a great example of this. When his personal moral compass and presumably what he's hearing from his constituents is so vastly different from what the liberals are trying to peddle. You get two choices. Do you save your political career or do you stand up for your constituents? And just take a look in Ontario at how many members of provincial parliament have thrown away their political careers because of what they want to stand up for. 
Belinda Karahalios, again, could have continued to be reelected as a PC MPP. She's going to have a much harder time now with the upstart New Blue Party, but she had to take a stand. It got her kicked out of caucus. Roman Babber, same thing, kicked out of caucus. Randy Hillier was kicked out a, a while ago, but even so, did it because he stood up on principle. Rick Nichols wouldn't take the vaccine, kicked out of the PC caucus. Christina Midas, the, now this is Ontario, where the PC party has had a basically a, a loyalty pledge it needs from its MPPs in order for them to stay as conservatives. But the reality is all of these people looked to their principles and said, I'm not prepared to compromise those for the good of my party. And that's, I think, what Mr. Lightbound did as well. I, I imagine it was tremendously courageous. I don't know if he'll be able to stand as the liberal candidate in the next election. I certainly hope he does. Because I think that all political parties need people who are prepared to stand up for liberty, prepared to stand up for what they believe, and for what their constituents believe. And remember that Quebecers have been absolutely pushed to the brink by all of this. But then Trudeau responds in the most condescending, patronizing way possible. This is how Justin Trudeau responded to Joël Lightbound's statement yesterday on COVID restrictions. I think one of the things uh, we all understand is just how frustrated everyone is. Um, we're all frustrated. We're all sick and tired of restrictions, of, of mandates, of having to, to make sacrifices, of not being able to do the things we love. Uh, it's been two years, and it's, and it's really, really tiring for all of us. This government has been focused every step of the way on following the best science, following the best public health advice to keep as many people safe as possible. And quite frankly, it's worked. We've seen... Uh, the curves uh, lower in Canada than elsewhere. We've seen lower death rates. We've seen quicker economic recovery because, because Canadians stepped up, because Canadians got vaccinated. And I can understand frustrations with mandates, but mandates are the way to avoid further restrictions or having to be restricted. As people get vaccinated, as Canadians have gotten vaccinated, we've been able to get through things. And this team is going to stay focused on doing exactly that. The, the point of this is that what we are seeing here is that Trudeau is doing the whole fringe minority shtick with the Liberal MP. He's doing, the, he's doing the fringe minority shtick with his own thing, which is, oh yeah, well, I can understand him being frustrated, and yeah, that's just people just lashing out. That's what he does. Refuses to take accountability for his policies and his government's policies. And in doing so, he sets the tone for the entire country. And this is something that is so dangerous in the Canadian political climate. And, and this is why for all the people that were looking at the convoy and saying, well, why are you protesting federally, federally? All of these restrictions are provincial. The problem with this, of the many problems there, but, but one of the big problems here is that what's happening is laughable. It's absolutely laughable because the federal government is the one that sets the benchmark. And, and just look, for example, Jason Kenney. Let, let me talk about Premier Kenney here, because Alberta announced yesterday something that should be tremendously gratifying to people, that Alberta, as of last night at midnight Mountain Standard Time, was getting rid of its vaccine passport. So today, you no longer have to go to a restaurant with your vaccine paperwork in hand in Alberta. That was the, the first part of Alberta's multi-stage reopening. And in doing so, what Alberta did was great. It's exactly what we've been wanting. It's exactly what we've been seeking. But here's the thing. Alberta will still, as a government, produce the QR code vaccine passports. 
They're still giving people the QR codes. And the reason why is because the federal government still has a vaccine mandate in place to get on an airplane. So an Albertan who wants to board a WestJet or Air Canada or Swoop or Flare flight from Calgary or Edmonton Airport is still going to need their vaccine paperwork. Also, other provinces. If you're an Albertan that decides for reasons that I do not understand at all to go on a vacation to Ontario, you are going to have to show your vaccine paperwork if you want to go eat at a restaurant in Ontario. So all of these things are interconnected. You can't just look at one province lifting its restrictions and say, okay, that's a victory because it's all integrated, the federal, the provincial, and of course, the international as well. So I understand the idea of taking this position as the convoy protesters are that we want all mandates gone, federal, provincial, and the way we do that is by going right to the head of it, which is Parliament Hill in Ottawa. Because again, in some provinces, there is no end in sight, specifically Ontario. And I'm going to play a clip in just a moment of Christine Elliott, who's the health minister and deputy premier in Ontario. But I want to set the stage here because Ontario a few weeks back unveiled its however many part reopening, which went until I think March 31st, the end of March. And I was so excited. I got opened up the PDF for the slideshow and I was flipping through the pages and I got to the end. And by the end of it, Vaccine passports weren't gone and masks weren't gone. And I'm like, well, what sort of reopening is it that at the end of it or the purported end of it, there isn't an end to the two most intrusive public health restrictions we have on the books in Ontario. And even as we go through this great reopening, which is what I prefer much to the great reset, Ontario, the largest province in Confederation, has no interest in getting rid of these two intrusions. Here's Christine Elliott this morning. Well, we've already set out our opening timelines. We started on January uh, 31st. The next phase is as of February 21st and then March 14th. Uh, we have no plans currently to drop the uh, passport uh, vaccination uh, situation or masking. Uh, we believe that masking is going to be important for some time to come. And of course, we take our um, uh, advice from uh, Dr. Moore, the Chief Medical Officer of Health, and the people at the Science Advisory Table and other uh, medical experts. And so we always said that we were going to take a very cautious, phased, prudent approach to opening up. And that's the path that we're going to follow. For some time to come. That, that's how long you're stuck with the masks in Ontario for some time to come. Now, that is what they give you when they have no date and they have no interest in providing a date. Now, one of my more popular observations from the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa when I was there last weekend was the observation that the mask mandate basically died. And right now, I think it's still the same. The mask mandate in downtown Ottawa is pretty much dead. If you wear a mask in a hotel, a restaurant, a store, you're going to be an outlier. And that's fine. Make your own choices. But they're not enforcing it because of the volume of people in downtown Ottawa that are saying, I refuse to comply. And whatever you think of that, whatever you think of that approach... There's something to that that I think is worth noting, which is that a lot of these public health measures are nothing if people don't comply with them because they're not following the science. You know, you could say that people are following the science, but the science doesn't follow the people. And it's politicians right now that are people masquerading as science. 
And that's something that is going to continue to happen unless people start saying, you do not have legitimacy over me. And that's what they've done in Ottawa. They've said, we're not wearing masks. And the government has basically just had to choose its battles. And police have spent their time going after jerry cans. So, you know, if police are running after everyone who's walking around Wellington Street with a jerry can of diesel. And in doing so, all the people that are walking around maskless are getting a pass. When at a different point in the pandemic, they would be slapped with, you know, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars of fines. So there is a cautionary tale there. But at the same time, you you can't necessarily say that the COVID mentality, the COVID mindset, the institutional Stockholm syndrome, as I've called it, is going to go away immediately. And I want to return on this note back to Alberta for a moment, because in Alberta, the infrastructure for the vaccine passport is still there. The infrastructure still exists. So like I mentioned, you can still get your QR code. So the question that I asked Jason Kenny yesterday, and I'm going to play a clip of it here, is whether businesses that are more comfortable keeping up with the vaccine passport charade will still have the ability to do it. Here's our exchange on that. For people that own businesses that are comfortable with requiring proof of vaccination, will they still have the right, in your view, under Alberta law to impose a vaccine requirement for customers moving forward? Yes, they'll have that right under law. And I guess I would just say that's a matter of, uh, of the free market, Andrew. If a business chooses to have um, a, a policy of that nature, then um, that may, may, may appeal to a certain kind of customer and it may turn away other kinds of customers. That's a commercial decision. At, at the end of the day, um, I would love it if we could move away from all of this uh, and uh, and no longer have to produce the QR codes. Uh, that could get us past the problem you've raised. But the, the paradox or the problem is that we have a lot of Albertans who, especially during the cold winter here, uh, love traveling and, uh, and at the end of the summertime too. And as long as there is a federal requirement for provincially issued proof of vaccination, we have to offer that as a service. And I got to tell you, even then, even if we weren't issuing QR codes, um, I suppose a vendor could, um, going back to the pre-COVID days, you know, uh, just, just like when you were uh, visiting certain countries, uh, they want to see if you've been vaccinated against the uh, yellow fever and you have to produce these uh, slips that prove that prove vaccination. So governments will always be issuing some kind of proof of vaccination. That's just part of our responsibility in the healthcare system and how people use that is their choice. So what he's saying there is that it's the free market. Businesses can do what they want. Now, incidentally, I, I know this uh, is against what a lot of you think. I, I've borne the I've bear, I've borne I've borne I've bared whatever. I've dealt with the brunt of it. <laughs> this is what happens when you go live. You can't edit things out to make yourself look smarter. But what happened is I, I got into some spats on Twitter about this yesterday because I take the libertarian view on this that if a business wants to require proof of vaccination, they should absolutely have the right to do that. Just as if a business says only those wearing pink polka dot socks like Justin Trudeau can come in, that is completely within their purview as well. Just as it's my right as a customer to say I have no interest in going to a restaurant or a store that is voluntarily imposing vaccine segregation. My issue with this was never an issue with vaccination. It was always an issue with government coercion of business and by extension of citizens.
So if an individual business wants to set up this policy, I think it's their right, just as it's my right, and those of anyone else who wants to live a free, independent life to say, go pound salt, I'm going to go to these businesses that don't care, that aren't interested in that. And this is true in my view, whether you're talking about a Christian baker not wanting to bake a gay wedding cake or a gay baker not wanting to bake a Christian wedding cake for whatever reason. I I don't care. The whole point is we should be as individuals able to say this decision is wrong, but they have the legal right to make it, which is what I think we need to say about business decisions and also of individual decisions. And here's the thing, when the vaccine mandates are gone, if every vaccine mandate in Canada were at the snap of my fingers to be gone, nothing would stop anyone from wearing a mask. Nothing would stop anyone from getting triple dose, quadruple dose. Nothing would stop anyone from staying home, from socially distancing. The question is whether the government is the one to make everyone do it, even those who don't value that. And the people that are in this delusional state of Stockholm Syndrome, COVID Stockholm Syndrome, these people don't want the restrictions to end. They just don't. They're scared of going back to normal. They want to claim the new normal is normal when it actually is not normal in any sense whatsoever. And I would tell anyone in that boat that you can live your life however you want. If we flip the switch, go back to restriction zero, you can still live your life like it's March of 2020. I'm not going to, but if you want to, have at it. I'll keep six feet away from you. I'll keep a lot more than six feet away from you. I won't go to your birthday party if you want a vaccine passport. I won't uh, allow people in my life to segregate society. And I, I I should say that differently. I won't engage with that form of segregation. Even, I mean, even though I'm fully vaccinated, I just won't engage in that level of discourse with people. If that's what you want to do, though, have at it. Live your life. Just let me live mine. This shouldn't be a radical concept. And it goes back to a woman who was very memorable, a woman I met at the Freedom Convoy in Ottawa. And what drew me to her was her sign. So I I want you to, when you see this clip, take a look at her sign specifically, and you'll see why I wanted to talk to her. Tremendously well-spoken, but she embodies that very idea of individuality that I think most people should, and most people, I hope, do. So uh, what's your name and where are you from? My name's Leela. I'm from near Smith Falls. Now, the sign here, fully vaxxed, BIPOC, pro-choice, anti-mandate. So what do you make of the characterization of this movement as being about anti-vaxxers? I feel like the mainstream media has really tried to characterize the movement as being extremist, right-wing, racist, and it's a much more diverse movement than that. And the goal is really about the mandates and the government policy and that it's trying to dismiss the movement by trying to show it as a fringe element. And I think what we're seeing today is that it really represents the concerns of a diverse group of Canadians. Are you finding that other people that are similar to you, those things that you put on your sign, are starting to see things the same way? Or do you find that you're a bit of an outlier? It's pretty split. This is a weird one. It splits along weird lines. Now, would you identify as being politically on the right at all? No. So you're here as someone on the political left. What, what do you make of this? Do you find that just the cause of freedom is being this binding force between people that might not agree on other things? Totally. I think a lot of Canadians are worried about what's happening with our country and are worried about the direction that policies are heading. And everyone's coming together to voice their concerns. And we might have slightly different concerns, but if we can all come together around some common goals, I think it will show to the broader Canadian public and the government that 
it's not just a small fringe movement. It's really a lot of people who have serious concerns that need to be listened to and that need to be voiced more publicly. Uh, what do you hope comes at the end of all this? I hope that people realize that people that they know and care about may think differently from them or people that they know and care about may be unvaccinated or people that they know and care about may be suffering in very real ways from the way that the government is handling the pandemic and that we are more open-minded to thinking about different alternatives. So what a concept, someone making decisions for themselves, wanting other people to make decisions for themselves. I, I got a message in the chat here from Sean. He says, Andrew, so you are saying it's okay to discriminate over a medical procedure. As I recall, it's against the law to discriminate race, creed, and medical status, whatever happened to our rights. You deliberately did not listen to a thing I said. So let me say it again, abundantly clear. No, it's not okay. But choice is a two-way street. There's a difference between something being legally allowed and morally okay. I think it's reprehensible for a business to say we're not going to serve people because they're unvaccinated. I don't want these, you know, dirty, rotten, un unvaccinated people there. I think that's tremendously wrong. But do I think the answer to things that are morally wrong is the state's intervention? Rarely is that the case. My view is that the state should involve itself when people's individual liberties are being violated. But by that, I mean their right to life, their right to liberty, their right to security. These rights that are negative freedoms, the right to have things not done to you. No one has a right to what are called positive obligations in most cases. This idea that people must serve you, that people must give you this, they, they must give you that. No. Choice is a two-way street. The choice to be unvaccinated, the choice to be vaccinated, the choice to associate with the unvaccinated, the choice to associate with the vaccinated. If you're going to look at me and expect me to defend these human rights codes in provinces across the country that are interfering in the private sphere, I won't do it because these are the codes that go after people in trying attempts to censor them. These are the codes that went after Mark Stein and Ezra Levant because their writing was supposedly discriminatory to someone. So no, I'm not defending these interferences. I'm simply saying that choice goes both ways. When I went down to Florida a few weeks back and saw people wearing masks, they were doing so voluntarily. I could say, I think it's a bit weird that you're wearing a mask on the beach, but what I actually said was nothing because that's them, doesn't affect me. And that idea of individual choice is what we should all be striving towards. So that's what I mean. Because I'm defending a legal right to do something does not mean I'm encouraging it at all. I'm just saying that if we want to let people live their own lives and do their own thing and live like it's March 2020, if that's the price of us living like it's February 2022, I'm completely happy with that. So I, I went to one question there. I'm going to take a few more of your questions here. We've got some great ones. Uh, Neo Armor, who donated on the Super Chat, thank you for that, uh, says, do you think Trudeau will be able to stay in power before the next election? I think the one thing that afflicts Trudeau more than any political reality is arrogance. I don't think he's a guy that ever imagines that he could lose an election because by and large, he has been Teflon Trudeau. There's, I mean, it's underneath the black, underneath the black face is a layer of Teflon. That underneath the shoe polish, there's Teflon. That's actually, it's a, it's a marvel that the blackface stuff stays on the face with all the Teflon there. Uh, maybe he put the Teflon outside of the shoe polish. I don't know. But the whole point is that nothing sticks to Justin Trudeau. 
which is why he won he won an election after SNC Lavalin. He won an election after the Wee scandal. He won an election after or during black. He won a blackface election. He probably could have won the election in blackface. So I don't think he thinks that he's going to lose. I, I think if anyone gets rid of him, it's got to be the Liberal caucus. Because I think some of the liberals might realize, you know what, we're, especially if Joel Lightbound is speaking for a larger constituency of liberal MPs that are so far too scared to speak up. There could be other liberals that are saying, you know, we really, really can't get behind Trudeau. But a lot of the convoy protesters that, you know, would love to see Justin Trudeau deposed or resign or whatever, I'd ask what's going to come in his place. Christian Freeland. You can get rid of Justin Trudeau, but it doesn't get rid of the liberal party. It doesn't get rid of the liberal plurality in the House of Commons. And I don't think Christian Freeland is going to be all that much better. So uh, be careful what you wish for in a way. I, I think that's a, a message that people need to realize here. Uh, let's see, what else do we have here? Uh, Daryl, actually a lot of questions about the fuel. Have the police returned the fuel to truckers? Any information about police returning the fuel they stole? So th there's something called the Streisand effect. There's something called the Streisand effect that I, I think is very interesting here. And um, the backstory of it, I can't remember what paper it was, but someone took a picture of Barbara Streisand's um, mansion on the waterfront somewhere, and she didn't want it published. So she took the photographer and the newspapers to court. And in doing so, she got more attention to this photo than would have been there had she just left it alone and let the photo been published. So... There's something about that here. When police decided that they were going to make diesel the enemy, uh, not, not just for carbon tax reasons, but because they, they didn't like that it was fueling literally and figuratively the convoy. Police say we're going to make diesel the issue. They go and they load up the wheelbarrows and they take the diesel away. All that does is make it so that people want to bring diesel in. They want to bring gasoline in, diesel in. They want to power the generators, power the trucks. And that's why when you look at all the photos now, pretty much everyone... like. There are a few staples that you never leave home without. There's the cell phone, the wallet, the keys, and now the jerry can. Uh, everyone's leaving house with a jerry can. It's actually the new size they have at Starbucks. You can get a tall, you can get a grande, you can get a venti, or you can get a jerry can if you're in Ottawa. Because everyone in Ottawa now, except for the police, are walking around with jerry cans. And at a certain point, they made that the issue, so that's the one that everyone is going to bring in. When they start going after sandwiches, everyone is going to be a, a walk-in one-person subway operation. So I, I don't know about uh, where the fuel that was seized is, if it's going to come back. I highly doubt it. But there's a lot more where that came from. That's generally the view that I take on this. Uh, someone says, how long do you think until Ontario drops the mandates? Well, I, I played that clip earlier from Christine Elliott, and, and basically they have no interest in doing it. It doesn't matter that Saskatchewan is, Alberta is, Quebec is, Denmark, Finland, England, Ireland. doesn't matter. O Ontario is completely happy catering to the people that want this to be a permanent fixture of our lives. Uh, going to have a, a look here at uh, one comment from Tan Man. I don't know. And maybe this is Justin Trudeau, actually. He's, he's tan man sometimes, especially at parties. Is Trudeau's caucus starting to turn on his rhetoric? I'm hearing rumbles. There are plenty of liberal MPs that are aghast at how Trudeau is handling behind the scenes. I, I try not to put too much stock into rumblings because in Ottawa, rumblings are ubiquitous and, and oftentimes they don't materialize into anything. I do think, however, 
that the liberal, I mean, to go back to the point I mentioned a few moments ago, Justin Trudeau, the shine will eventually come off. And I think it already has, but he still has a pretty solid grip on his caucus. But so did Aaron O'Toole. Aaron O'Toole has had a, an ironclad grip on his caucus up until the point when he didn't. And when you start seeing the punishment of dissenters, that could be a, a game changer. So if Justin Trudeau decides to punish Joel Lightbound for speaking out, that could be that first domino that triggers a lot of other things that uh, end up working against Justin Trudeau. Uh, what other questions and comments do we have here? Mostly questions, so thanks for asking about this. Uh, Marion asks a phenomenal question. Do you think this convoy took politicians by surprise? Absolutely. Abs 100% absolutely. And here's why, Marion. Because for the politicians, they oftentimes live and work in downtown Ottawa in this very small area of just a, a few city blocks, and they watch media that's produced in those few city blocks. And I'm not saying that some of them don't have uh, ties into their community and spend time in their riding and all of that, but I'm saying that there is a bubble, and you hear it called the Ottawa bubble for a reason. And when I lived in Ottawa, I never left that bubble. I worked on Parliament Hill, I lived a few blocks from there, I ate a few blocks from there, I shopped a few blocks from there, I never really saw Ottawa, and, and it was interesting when I went back years later and I was driving around real Ottawa, I'm like, well, this is, this is not, to me, this wasn't even Ottawa. So the Ottawa bubble is a very insulated place, which is why there's so much moral panic right now at the blaring horns and people standing up for freedom and Canadian flags and patriotism, because this is just not something that permeates through the Ottawa bubble. So if you get your news from CBC and CTV and you agree with the Trudopian position that all of these protesters are just a, a fringe minority with unacceptable views, you were baffled when you saw thousands of normal people, like that woman whose clip I just played a few minutes ago, normal people showing up saying, no, I'm fully vaccinated, I'm just against mandates. Or I'm not vaccinated, but here's why. And it's a good reason, I'm not anti-science, I just made a choice for myself. People with families. If you, on one hand, see on TV the characterization of this as being a white nationalist rally, and then you meet a Sikh family, you're like, well, hang on, like, or you think these are all white supremacists and then you meet the indigenous people that are there giving blessings and saying, we stand with you for freedom. So anyone who's on the ground was seeing a picture that simply was not the picture shared in the mainstream media coverage. And I think absolutely, to get back to the question, there's no doubt in my mind that the politicians had probably deceived themselves into thinking that this segment of the population didn't exist or that it was a lot smaller than it actually was. I think we're going to do another live edition of this show in the near future. I had a lot of fun doing it. I enjoyed your questions. I'd love to take more of them. Before we end things, I, I want to play one clip which stuck with me. Right now, actually, some of the convoy organizers are holding a, a press conference, and I, I've been keeping one eye on it uh, with uh, just seeing if there's anything out of there. And, and I don't actually know... If there's too much to report just yet, it sounds like they're uh, really prepared to start debunking a lot of the negative media and, and false media attacks against them. And interestingly enough, one of the things that the lawyer said, and I'm reading a quote here sent by a, a one of our producers, at no time... This is one of the lawyers for the convoy. At no time has anyone involved in the core group of the Freedom Convoy asked for anything other than to have their charter rights restored, the rule of law in Canada to be respected. It's not about sedition. It's not about a military junta. It's about freedom. That's what they want. It is about freedom. And 
asked last week, I think this was on Sunday, they had a press conference, so this is not the one today. And one of the questions that my colleague, uh, Elie Cantin-Nantel, had asked, which I thought was a very important question, was, are you prepared to go to jail for this? Police at the time had been ramping up their efforts. They were talking about arrests. And he asked the organizers that very simple question. And I want you to, as we close things out here, hear their answer. Um, we've seen pastors in Alberta be locked up for uh, not complying with COVID rules. Do you think that there uh, is a way that the, these organizers could be locked up for their protests? And maybe to, to you guys, are, are you guys willing to go to jail even if it's arbitrarily to, to, to fight for your cause, to restore, you know, the freedoms for, for Canadians? Yes, yes, for me, absolutely. This is my hill. Justin Trudeau jailing a Métis woman. <laughs> and someone who used to protect him. We're <laughs> <laughs> in the same cell. <laughs> they didn't even need to think about it. It was a no-brainer. All of them were like, yeah. <laughs> Would you go to jail? Yeah. And then, and then Tamara Leach, she's the creator of that initial GoFundMe, which raised, you know, a bajillion dollars before GoFundMe decided to spike it, uh, said very candidly there, uh, yeah, this is my hill. This is my hill. And for a lot of people on the political right, they have just been kind of trying to talk about the little issues and not pay attention to the big issues, not pay attention to the big picture. Uh, but for the organizers, they're saying, yeah, this is our hill. We're, we're taking a stand. And it's starting to work. The Alberta case, Saskatchewan, Quebec, it's starting to work. They're having an effect, even if the politicians don't want to realize it. So uh, thanks very much for tuning in. My thanks to Jacob and Phil for their efforts behind the scenes. We'll have another edition of the Andrew Lawton Show that I think we'll do live because it's a lot of fun in a couple days' time. So do stay tuned for that. We'll talk to you. And also follow me on Twitter at Andrew Lawton because I'm going to be having lots more convoy coverage in the days ahead. Have a good one. Thank you. God bless. And good day to you all. To the Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.